Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Owen, you've been a homeowner for a year now, and it's been a journey of ups and downs. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good, Kate. Um, I'm sitting here in my half-done office. I'd show you the camera. I'd, I'd, I'd pan the camera around and show you. But there's actually, instead of a door, I have um, an old Duna cover that's currently acting as my door. So, yeah, I mean, things are good. Things are great. They um, sound still, great. <laughs> we're in the depths of despair um, with the renovation. But, yeah, I mean, I'm eager to talk about all the different stages of buying a house and, and share my experience. But I should add, this is just one experience, right? So mm. everyone does it differently. So what we talk about and what I talk about is kind of limited to my experience. Yours might be completely different. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have been following along with interest because we talked about shares and you've been talking about investing in shares for so long and we'd never really covered property much. And then out of, a blue, out of the blue during COVID, suddenly you're a homeowner. That, that was a surprise even for me. And I think um, a lot of people have been following along with interest and we did the first episode last year. So for context, I'd recommend going back and listening to that first. We'll put it in the show notes. But I thought it would be great to get Owen back to talk about this, his journey, the ups and downs, and there have been a few one year on and everything he's gone through and learnt. And maybe um, maybe some of the things that Owen's learnt might be able to help you and um, maybe stop you from making a similar mistake if you made any mistakes. Yeah, I definitely made some mistakes. Um, I think in the last one we talked about how I found the application process a bit, how the, I guess, finding a property, um, how that took shape and some of the issues that we had. Uh, for those who don't know and those who haven't taken our property course, um, typically when you own a business as I do and your income comes from that business, the way it works with getting a mortgage, which should be kind of like your first thought if that's, you know, unless you've got a lot of cash, good on you, but most people don't and need to get a mortgage to buy a house. Um, the thing to keep in mind is that as, as a business owner, they, they take into account not just your income, but also that of your business. And it actually is miles more difficult to, to get over that hurdle. So, for us, having a startup business, what it meant was that every year, the business had to be profitable and most startups aren't profitable. And the other thing is that if you, I remember there was a comment made um, by one of our loan assessors or, or something like that. They said that because I own most of our business, the financials of our business, they would take with um, a pinch of salt. And the, the comment was mostly to say that like, oh yeah, no, that looks great, but that's got nothing to do. Like, how do we know that you're still going to pay, pay the bill, pay the mortgage when it comes through? We can't lend against that. And I think that kind of caught me off guard as a first kind of thing. The other thing was that obviously we were buying during COVID and 
property prices were in a bit of a bind at the time. So reflecting on that now, that was a brilliant time to buy. We bought the day before stage four lockdowns hit, the first round of stage four lockdowns here in Victoria. And then what that meant was that no one knew what was going on. Like there was the sellers of the property had this kind of unknown, um, this uncertainty, this air of uncertainty around what would come next for property. At the time, listeners, long-time listeners would know that I did a podcast by myself, actually. I don't know where you were at the time, Kate, but- I, I think I was attempting w- to leave the country in March Yeah, last I think year. you were. I think you were. And the Commonwealth Bank, CBA, some analysts at CBA came out and said that property prices could fall something like 32%. And I just thought that was the most outrageous thing I'd ever come across. <laughs> and I thought that was a few months before we bought a house. And I thought, well, if I'm going to buy a house and there's all these, you know, um, snake oil salespeople selling these doomsayer predictions, maybe now is actually a good time to do it because some people will feed into that nonsense. And um, yeah, so we went and, we went and uh, started looking around that time. And um, lo and behold, what happened next was kind of unexpected for everyone, I think. I think... It was really interesting from the time that we bought our house, you could basically just put a rocket under the, the paper price of, um, of houses in our area. And that's not like, this is not me saying that we were smart. We were just lucky. Mm. And we were just lucky to buy when we did. And I think for most people, buying a house isn't an investment, I'd say. I'd say it's a lifestyle thing, a lifestyle decision that they make. And so- we were just very lucky that at the same time that we were making that lifestyle choice, house prices started to go upwards mm. and vendors or sellers were very desperate. So yeah, that was kind of the application process. I know you want to talk about other things as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that people really need to think about is whether they're buying a house for that lifestyle choice or whether it's an investment. And it's really important to distinguish the two. And I think Andrew talked about that as well. Um, mm. And what is the reason you're doing that? Because there's going to be a lot more costs involved and you have truly experienced that with owning owning a home. But the costs, um, I guess, in some circumstances are worth it because you have a place to live that you can make your own, that you can build your own deck and beer garden and whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I did build my own deck. So people that are on Instagram would know that. Um Decks are really good. Just as a this is a tip, fast tip for anyone that owns a house. Um, decks add a lot of value. You can't you can't just go and build a deck because you need a permit if it's attached to your house. But um, when you're doing old for new, like our decking, Kate, you didn't fully experience it. No, I but- actually looked up your house the other day because I was trying to make sure I got your address right. And I looked at the photos <laughs> before you bought it. And I was like, is that the same house? Like the fence yeah. doesn't look, this. everything looked really different. Like you've made a lot of changes in the year and especially without the deck and all of the things you've added, the property like was barely recognizable in those photos from a year ago. Yeah. Um, that's a fair point. So one of the things that so just to finish off that decking point is that deckings are actually not that, I mean, I say they're not that hard to make. you got to do them properly. Um, but they're actually a really good way to add value to a house um, because they don't cost that much and you can do a lot of things to them to make them look newer, even if they're not. You don't have to restart a deck. For example, you can put a new handrail on um, and people love, in Australia, we love deckings. 
you know, we love taking. So um, a buyer would like that. Um, I think you make a good point there about things that have changed in the uh, for the property really quickly. So one of the big things is that people who are quite um, hands-on think that they can spend time and money and effort like improving a property, um, which is completely fair, right? That one of the criticisms of shares best property in the for the pro property debate is that you can do things to a house, but you can't put a new bathroom on a um, on a share portfolio. Yeah, you can't sort of jump into the company and start working in the marketing team and that's uh, getting it, right? involved that way. Yeah, so you can't improve Commonwealth Bank's profits just because you <laughs> you know have a few extra hours on a weekend. Yeah. Um, but you can, you know, go and plant some you know hedges or whatever on your property if you if you do have that ability. Um, but I would also say that like, there's a massive counterpoint to that. Um, the counterpoint is that. You have to firstly want to do that. Secondly, the property has to be right. So we knew this before we bought the house, but we were very fortunate that we knew what we were looking for. And this comes back to you know that property course we've got where Amy Lenardi goes through what to look for on a property or in a property. And oftentimes when you want to make changes to a property, you simply cannot because of, you know, we're just talking off air with Monique about body corporate. The other thing um, to keep in mind is that like councils make it very difficult. Um, and it's, it's oftentimes it's not just councils, but it's actually your neighbours that report you to the council. The council oftentimes doesn't really give a crap. It's more the neighbours that are nosy and just obnoxious and they you know, take it upon themselves to dob you in. Um, but basically what we were very fortunate with, Kate, to tie this in a bow, was that a lot of the stuff that you have seen that we've changed, we didn't need permits for because it was already existing or there were things that just were, for the most part, cosmetic, like replacing mm. the deck that was already there um, meant that, you know, one, we could make it safe, but two, it could just give the face the, the property a facelift. Um, we also have a weatherboard house, which means that it's very, very cheap to put weatherboards on a house. Whereas if you have a brick building, um, brick is, and concrete even more so, brick is a lot more difficult to work with if you just um, need to patch up a few areas or, or whatever you require, a brick layer and whatever. And typically you have to take down the whole wall. So, um, yeah, we were very fortunate. Um, we made some cosmetic changes, but I would say that it takes a lot of time and effort and it's a never-ending thing. As most, yeah. as every I mean, knows. every weekend you seem to be sort of sinking 10 plus hours into various projects and it definitely sucks your time up. And I think like it has been good during COVID for you to have this project, but in, in general times, you don't normally have that much time if you're working a full-time job and you have family and other commitments to spend every waking moment on the property. So I guess it's coming back and being realistic about how much time you can actually spend on renovating, especially in your circumstances. I think one of the things too, Kate, is that um, I think a fair question to ask is, has having the house made us happier? And I can't say that it has. Mm. So um, I think in some respects it's it has, but in some respects it hasn't. So as you know, I'm the type of person that likes to get things done, to see, to build things, to get things finished and just get them done. Yeah. And, I, and I can't rest until things are done. And so 
for me, looking at a house and then seeing that, oh, there's a hole in that wall or, oh, look, there's water pooling over there or, or something like that. Like that is really just kind of, I don't know, it probably gives me anxiety to be honest. And so, whereas we look at investing in shares, you can kind of just find really good companies, invest in them and, you know, that just, that's <laughs> hands-off approach. And so that, that works as well. Um, and I think that's a really valid point that not enough people ask themselves. We kind of get hung up in this idea that we have to have a house because it's going to bring us happiness and all this sort of stuff, but it might not. Mm. So keep that in mind too. You know, a lot of anxiety comes with a big mortgage. I think, I think when our last recording, we actually, I actually Googled it and it was $700,000 is, is the average mortgage. Ours isn't that big. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's a bit skewed, but to, to, that's a lot of zeros. Does it stress you out having that debt hanging over your head? I mean, just, I mean, I'm, I'm still pretty young, but the thought of having a massive mortgage is really terrifying, much more terrifying than the risks that I, that I, I take investing in shares. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a fair, fair point. Not many people juxtapose the two things. Like not many people compare them that way because typically when you're dealing with a share portfolio, you're dealing with a smaller balance. So there's fewer mm. digits, but second of all, is that, Kate, you're the exception. You understand how the share market works. Most people don't. So most people are comfortable taking a massive loan against um, a patch of land. One single asset too. Yeah, yeah. See, a lot of people don't think about that because they're not Mm. taught finance theory, right? Or they're not across the benefits of diversification. And for most people for the past 30 years, that has been A-OK. Get a house, you'll be fine. And it's worked. Um, I don't know if that will work going forward. Probably it might, maybe not as well. But um, yeah, for me, I mean, we're very, we're very, very fortunate in that we kind of have the knowledge to deal with finances pretty easily. We have a pretty good income, um, like not fantastic, but we have pretty reliable incomes. Um, now, anyway, I've went like four years without a wage um, because of RASC. But um, yeah, I mean, the the actual numbers in the account aren't such a big deal as, say, the repayments every month and just managing cash flow and ensuring that you have offset accounts and those types of things. Like Those are fine. Yeah. And I know another thing we've been talking about in the team is just that cost of renovation when you don't have that knowledge or experience or that friend you can call on to say, hey, does this quote sound about right for this roof job or something like that and how you can get ripped off. And I know you've been fortunate that you've actually got some of that industry experience, but I think that's another point to talk about that if you if you don't have that experience or a friend you can call who's a tradie or gone through it before, it can be very difficult going for a renovation and you if you want to try and DIY it, it can be a lot of YouTube videos, but even then you might not be able to work it out yourself. Yeah. And oftentimes a lot of the YouTube videos are from the United States or Europe or from a different state where the regulations are different too. Like Bunnings has some great DIY videos actually. Um, I think I get a lot of enjoyment going to Bunnings, by the way. I think I think that's cool. It's dangerous. I think a but, lot uh, of Australians get a lot of enjoyment. I think that's yeah. been one of the most popular stores. It's like a magical lockdowns. place. It is a magical place. I should have bought shares in it a long time ago. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I was chatting to one of my mates who's a chippy a carpenter yesterday, and um, I was just telling him about a quote that we got back. Because to your point earlier on about COVID projects, um, 
I've been very fortunate that when we moved in, it was lockdowns and it's pretty much been on and off lockdowns in Victoria ever since. Mm. And the reason why I say I'm fortunate is that we have a house that needs fixing up. And ordinarily, like I work six days a week and oftentimes 10 to 12 hours a day. So um, for me, I don't normally get that much time if you throw in family and friends and whatever. And so for me then to find time to do things around the house that need to be done would be very difficult. But because of COVID, I was able to. Mm. And I was messaging because we've come out of COVID and, you know, our team at work has expanded and, and, and we're in the middle of reporting season as we record this. I just don't have the time anymore. Nor do I have, like, I think I'm just really, really burnt out with the house and, mm. and everything and COVID and whatever. And I messaged a mate saying, hey, man, I got this quote yesterday, $2,000 cash to install five doors, the internal doors, pretty easy to install. Um, I, could, I could do it myself. And he's like, well, that's really expensive. And he said, you know, he's currently doing a reno in his own house. And he's like, I totally take for granted what everyone else has to go through to get a quote and what would be reasonable. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, the cost of do, not even just a renovation, just anything around the house. I remember when we did a live in reno when I was younger at home and, um, you know, you would, you would be throwing pineapples at the tradesmen's. So the $50 notes, but now everything is probably, counted in thousands right mm. so um if you want some you want an electrician to come out for a day 600 bucks you want um a plumber to come and install and you tour thousand bucks like i'm not saying they're all like that but there are actually facebook groups of tradespeople who um post their post their quotes and post their their hourly rates and try and get feedback on how much they should charge and basically, um, you know, if you're not charging a certain amount, then you can get kind of a bit of backlash from the community to say you're not charging enough when to push prices up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's great for the tradies. Wonderful. Good on them. They work bloody hard. They deserve to get paid well. I totally do. I have so much respect for them. But at the same time, for people that are coming into that, they don't know. And particularly in advance, you don't know if you're getting a good job. So having someone that you can call upon to say, hey, is this reasonable? Um, or someone that can even come and come around and, and look at the job um, is, is so valuable because it is very expensive and you never really know what you're going to get. Um, just some things like that we found were super useful. Um, high pages is where we found some tradies that to do things that we our mates didn't have time or I didn't have time to do. Airtasker was another great find. Um, a lot of the times people on Airtasker will do a job for you through Airtasker um, and then they, you, you know, you can develop a relationship with them and get them to do more jobs. Um, those are just some of the, some of the things you can use, you know, but like I said, Bunnings for videos. Um, and then there are plenty of YouTube tutorials and even, you know, for example, when we're looking at insulation, we ended up going with Earthwall, which you can get from Bunnings and, um, the Earthwall website actually has tutorials on which ones you should choose and how to install it. So the product um, providers also have really good tutorials and step-by-step instructions on what to do. I'd just say, you know, um, just be prepared that it is very expensive. It's more expensive. Whatever number you have in your mind, multiply that by two and you might be close to whatever it is that you've got to 
come up with once you move in. Yeah, I remember that TV show I used to watch when I was a kid, like Grand Renovations, I don't know what it was called, from the UK, and the the budget would be, say, 100K, and it would always go to 200K plus. It would, yeah. it would it, Everything always went over budget, and then there'd be the tense moment where they'd have to find more financing, and yeah. they always did in the TV show, yeah. but it, it, in real <laughs> life, the money's not always there. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So just just be aware, you know, you might have to prioritize. Um yeah, yeah, I and I'm again I count my blessings here because I worked as a carpenter for I think it's about 12 to 18 months and I actually um worked with an electrician for probably three to six months as well. And all my mates are, you know, tradies. So very well adept at all the things that I need to do to get things done around the house. But um I just think that you've just got to be prepared if you're not doing it yourself it's going to be very expensive um and so you might have to prioritize you know we i think one of the really important things is as we said in the property course actually is um you probably want to start from the ground up so when you inspect a property what's it built on is it built or you could even just start with the land itself is it flat land is it well drained you know does is it going to is the water going to flow off it or is it going to sink and sit there and get damp then what's the house built out of? Is it on a concrete slab? If it is, look for any cracks or any uneven areas, or is it on stumps? Um, and you can just look under the house and see if it's like, it looks like it's stumps are like stilts. Um, and are those stumps in reasonable condition or do they look rotted? Then go up from there. Does the floor squeak? Do the walls look straight when you put your eye against the wall and look down them? And then you go to the ceiling. Is there any patches in the ceiling or are there any patches in the ceiling that look like water damage has crept in or cracked? And then go to the roof. Are there leaks? Does the roof need to be repaired? And I think if you take that kind of bottom-up approach um, when you get a, a house that may need some work, I think that's a good way to think about it too, is that you may have to go through that list and do every one of those things, which we have basically had to do. So mm. we've had to do the plumbing, um, put new stumps in, um, sanded the floors and redid the floors, um, straighten the walls, re-insulated, electrics, plaster, um, you know, painting the work. We've done some just yeah, everything. Done it all, so I know if if people have taken the property course, you took a video right at the very beginning of of the interior, and you actually went under the house to show people where to look at pipes and sewerage mm. and cracks and things that might get hidden under carpets during Learn the inspection. From my mistakes. Um, which I think you can gain a lot out of watching that video. So I'd highly encourage you to take the property course because. Owen does share the things that he's learned there as well, which will help you a lot. I mean, just yeah. the trick of looking under the carpets. I wouldn't have thought of that, but it's so obvious yeah. thinking now. Well, why wouldn't the real estate agent put the carpet over the crack in the floor? Yeah, it, it makes, makes sense, right? Absolute sense. Yeah. yeah. So, And then even things like we found that there was some timber underneath the house that, and termites are attracted to wet um, well-ventilated areas and so um, or I should say moist well-ventilated areas and um, we found like a lot of bugs have been eating at the timbers that were around the you know underneath the floor which is never a good sign but it turned out that that was um, we were a bit concerned about that but it turned out that it wasn't termites it was something else called borer um, but then when we stripped back the plaster on the walls we realized that about four of the studs, so those things that go from the floor to the ceiling, the bits of timber that hold up the roof, um, they actually 
were eaten out as well. So we had to remove all of them when we did it. Um, but fortunately, again, it was just borer and not termites. So it meant that they were just isolated patches that were very old. But you could, for example, grab the bit of timber in the wall and pull it and um, half the bit of timber might come with you. So, um, yeah, things you don't know. And honestly, seeing the reality of what you've gone through over the last 12 months and just the sheer amount of hours and stress and emotional toll and the costs involved that you've had to sink into this property, it's really put me off ever wanting to renovate a property, actually. And if I ever did buy a property, I think I'd want it to, the hard work of the renovation, like that stress and to already have been done. Yeah, um, and that's fair enough. And I think for most people, that's the way to go. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't say buy off the plan and buy something brand spanking new. I think that would be, I would say that's probably a lot worse um, because you don't get the satisfaction out of building something, but also you're at the mercy of kind of like um, builder's warranties, which are pretty difficult to negotiate anyway. But um, yeah, I know that one of the things that we wanted to talk about was basically um, the toll it takes kind of like on you physically and mentally. I think our, I don't want to put you off it, Katie or anyone, but um, you know, as you know, my attitude to things is like, get it done now. And mm. um, the more difficult something is, the more I rise to the occasion, kind of like Barney from How I Met Your Mother. If someone says I can't do something, it's challenge accepted. I will go and do that now. Um, and so for me, the idea of getting a place that we could renovate um, was super exciting at the time. But now it's not so much now that we don't have time and we're very stressed with work and constant lockdowns and just finding time to fit it all in. So um, someone messaged me on Instagram and said, you know, relationships are basically, um, uh, Renault's are relationship wreckers. And they weren't the only one that said it. actually a few other people, someone just emailed me the other day. And it's true. They're very stressful. I think things like um, the block and all those definitely um romanticize the idea of doing a live-in renovation um they make it seem very good and you don't see like the 50 trades people behind them that are doing all the work but um yeah i'd say that um it's it's not for everyone and you just want to make sure that you're comfortable and both you and your partner are on board and you really think through the circumstances because we said before, I said before that you could probably double your budget or you could probably also double your timeline. Mm. I thought I'd have everything done in six months. I would just go hell for leather. Um, and I did, but it, that takes its toll physically, emotionally and all the rest. So, mm. yeah. I think people just have to be really realistic when they dive into this and um, yeah. think about all the the practical realities of it and look at the costs of everything and not just sort of jump in and go, hey, I think I could renovate a home. That sounds fun. Yeah, because you don't want to get to the point where you try it, you make things worse, and then you have to sell it anyway, and then your relationship's frayed as well. So um, just really think through all of those things before you do it. And, um, you know, do your research on the council, do your research you know, ask the right questions during your inspections. Um, make sure you're comfortable uh, doing certain things with regards to, you know, if you know that there's a crack in the floor, okay, that's a crack in the floor, but make sure you factor that into your thinking when you mm. make a decision to put in an offer on a property. 
Now, I know the the thing that people have been really interested in the last 12 months is how has this changed your opinion of the property versus shares debate? And I know we talk about it being a false choice, but property does suck a lot of your resources up and um, might mean you can't invest as much in shares um, and can't invest in all the companies you want to. How has it, how has it changed your perspective on those two things and um, your approach there? I think there are a few things here. Um the first is that the share market is a far superior way to invest money. There is, it is a far superior way to invest. The math says that, the everything says that. But you can get 100% loans on a property. <laughs> so that definitely helps. Leverage. <laughs> so you, can, you can, if you want, put $0 down and get a massive amount of exposure to something that should make money. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, and I think if they were on the same terms, if you could give me a $500,000 loan to go and invest in shares at this 2.19% interest, which is what we got our home loan at, I would take that hand over fist. Um, because one, I think I can make more money that way Two, It's less stressful for me. It's less stressful. And, um, yeah, I just think it's kind of like, it would bring me more happiness researching companies and investing in things that um, create value for their community and for society. But um, that's like a more of a philosophical thing. Um, Andrew Page came on the podcast the other week and he talked about how, you know, there are many, many, many reasons why property is a great place to put money. Um, so, for the majority, I would say for the majority of Australians, the vast majority of Australians who are not like myself, you know, an investment analyst, there's not many of us, um, property is a great place to put money, um, a fantastic place, um, provided that you do it properly. You buy what we call investment-grade properties you stay in control of your budget, you use offset accounts and all the rest of it. Um, I think, you know, probably maybe 90% of Australians should focus on buying a house and then having money in an offset account, not necessarily repaying the mortgage, but having it in an offset account and investing in ETFs and super. And I think for 90% of Australians, that is the very best thing you can do for your long-term wealth and for your your family's wealth and all the rest of it. Andrew, much like myself, Andrew Page, much like myself, we are professional investors. So the rules are a bit different for us. So my answer to the question of property versus shares, like Andrew's, is different. On paper, it makes sense for us to own shares. But there are huge consequences for not owning a property, which this isn't, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. <laughs> and so I just think, you know, I say, people take it out of context. Like I was on a, I did a wellness webinar the other week and one of the slides was don't invest, don't have an investment property. Um, don't think of buying an investment property straight away. And the first question that popped up in the Q&A section at the end was why, what's wrong with property? And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that, um, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's context matters. And I mm. think, for me, shares are still a superior investment and because shares represent businesses. So if you understand which businesses make the most money and grow and whatever, I think 
that's a good place to put your money. I know there's a lot of people that would disagree. My brother-in-law is going to listen to this and he's going to say, yeah, I understand all your points of view, but um, property is still a great way to do it. And to be honest, just so you know, Kate, um, like going through the property process has made me think that RASC, that what we do could be applied to property to make it easier on people because I've found a lot of it is very hard to navigate and there are great people doing many wonderful things in property but at the same time there's a lot of work that needs to be done to educate people so um you know there is a version of rask in say five years from today where we do things in property and help people invest in property so i don't want to say it's you know it's not a a thing that i would invest in but yeah this is a long crappy answer to your question (laughs) about shares versus property i think for me makes sense to own shares for most people, property is a great way to force your savings. Mm. And hey, I'll give you a tip. Um, once you buy a house, once you have equity in your house, um, so that means you paid off your loan a bit, you can actually use some of that if you're really well inclined. You can use that to get a line of credit um, to invest in shares. Andrew mm. said this last week that that was his biggest regret was selling the house and not using that line of credit to buy shares. Instead, he sold the house and just used cash to buy shares. Yeah, so it could have had the best of both worlds. And I think that's why a lot of people I speak to that are more pro-property than pro-shares just like that they don't have to know the price of their property and the fluctuations every single day. There's nothing ticking over the top of their property saying it's up 50 grand today, it's down another 20 grand. And that alleviates some of the stress that if they looked at their brokerage account every day and suddenly mm. saw, they saw the equivalent value of a property just fluctuating up and down in their brokerage account, that would add a lot more stress to their life. And that's sort of one of their points of they can understand property. They don't have to think about those daily movements. And so that alleviates that impulsive sort of behavioral nature that they might accidentally sell something on a day they're not feeling great. There are some people that run towards a fire and there are some people that run away from one. I'm definitely the person that would probably run towards it. I think the other week I was jumping over a fire that we had in our backyard and I'm a 30 year old man. Um, you probably like, can't jump that high. I, Hey, I mean, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty good, but not as good as it used to be, but pretty good. Um, and I think, you know, when I see my shares going up or down, let's say it's very scary. It's gone up or down 20%. I absolutely love that, Kate. I love it. I love it because it means something is happening. It means I might be able to invest in shares cheap. Um, it might. It means that you know th- people have made mistakes or got things wrong or overreacting, and I love that. But most people aren't like that, right? Mm-hmm. Most people see that and they're super afraid, um, which I understand. So yeah, you know, I think in you can already do this today, um, but there are apps that give you. an indicative price on your property and a value of your property basically every day. So you could basically get a brokerage account for property. Um, And we have fractional fractional property investments in Australia. You know all about those. Um, So those things are probably coming, which is pretty scary to think. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, that's a fair thing. So like the behavioral advantage of owning property is definitely there. Because you can put your hands on, um, you know, the weatherboards, and you can run your your fingertips along the window seals and gather all the dust. You can feel 
the value of the thing that you own mm. within your, you know, it's a, a sense, right? Mm. But when it comes to the share market, you probably wouldn't want to run your fingertips on the windowsill of a McDonald's um, or try and understand if you own shares in McDonald's or try and, um, you know, grab um, a share certificate. We don't really have those these days, but, you know, it's just, it's just not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of people who don't understand investing, the behavioral advantage of investing in property is definitely there. And so if you could invest in a property with say an 80% loan and you could reliably get four to 10% per annum, I'm not saying that that is going to happen, but if you could get that over 10 years um, and provided you're not super stressed, that is an exceptional return on your money and your time. Mm-hmm. If you can get that exceptional. And I would take that. Um, likewise, if you could get the same thing in your super fund, um, in your share portfolio, I'd probably take that bet too. So um, it's just that my strength lies in investing in shares. Others might be in property depending on their behavior. Mm. And that comes down to it. It's just, it's that personal decision working out where your interests lie, where do you want to spend more time and energy and money and thinking about your own behavior and maybe going back to listen to Daniel Crosby's episode we did a few weeks ago about how our behavior and our emotions impact our decision-making. And I think that will, that's a good starting place if you're trying to work out where do you want to start. Yeah, I would just say just educate yourselves on the, um, on the merits of either um, as well. So, you know, there's that old saying, you've got to understand the rules of the game before you can play it. A lot of people get their information on the share market from sources like family um, and friends who have had, um, I guess, interactions with the stock market in a very negative way and associate it with gambling and those types of things because they don't understand what the ups and downs mean and what they don't mean. Um, And by the same token, they have positive experiences with property because it's gone up and it's understandable. Mm. So I would just say put in the time and effort to understand both as best you can and make an informed choice. And you said at the top of the show, Kate, it's – a false choice. You don't have to have one or the other. You should have both, ideally. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to work through there. Your behavior, understanding what, you know, the pros and cons of both. Andrew did a very good job of weighing up the cons of renting with a, with a young family. Mm. Um, so just take all those things on board. And I don't want to scare anyone off. Like my, con- my, my, uh, experience is definitely different to say Monique's who's just bought a house or when you buy one in the future, it'll be different again. And everyone else that listens to this will be different. So um, many of them are good experiences. I'd say most of them. Mm. Well, there we go. One year on, it has been a ride. So I hope yes. <laughs> everyone we'll got see where we are in 12 a, months. a few insights from this episode. And if you have your own first home buying stories um, or buying your first share stories that you want to share, definitely um, put them through in the Facebook group. We'd love to hear your experiences. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can learn from everyone's different experiences and hopefully learn from people's mistakes as well. So don't be, don't be shy about sharing your mistakes because they are so beneficial to learn from and to share with others. Yeah. If you have a listener story, like if you want to write into us and, and maybe potentially appear on the podcast to explain 
how your property journey went, good or bad, you can write into us as well. We'd love to we'd love to hear that story. We've focused a lot on debt and the emotional side so far, which is fantastic. But um, there are other aspects of a property story or just a money story that can come to life. So you can write into us. Um, what I w- what I will say in closing is that we were very fortunate that we had great people around us and good professionals and we understood finance when we bought our house. Um, we also had a really good understanding of the area in which we bought. If you don't understand any of that stuff, if you don't understand what to look for when you do an inspection, just go and take the free property course, honestly. Um, the first house that you buy is by far the most important house you will ever buy because it will either be terrible or it will be wonderful, somewhere in between. If you educate yourself, you're going to give yourself a better chance of putting it in the wonderful category, the wonderful bucket. So don't, yeah, don't make simple mistakes when you buy such a big, important thing in your life. Um, so yeah, that's my pitch for the property course. And I think, you know, for a free course, it's well worth the money. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Well, Owen, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. No worries. I've always wanted to appear on the show. So I really, I just love what you guys do. And, um, it's great to have you on. What a yeah, it was heaps guest. of fun. So thank you so much, Kate. Um, keep fighting the good fight and uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au.